Coming up on today's show. Uh, I had a picture of a first uh, of a mountain lion, and now it looked like a giant male. I mean, it was a big, broad-shouldered mountain lion. Looking at that property, and you say, this is going to be the sanctuary. Uh, are you looking mainly like for, for bedding cover? Large portion of your property to be generally undisturbed, especially come mid-August, then on. To- Broadcasting from the Mid-Migration Outfitter Studios, this is the Finding Fur and Feathers Hunting Podcast. How much direction are you getting from the governor? Minnesota DNR had reintroduced him into this area. I don't know, maybe you didn't want me to tell the story on the show, but I'm going to tell it's it anyway. Fine. I knew you were going to go there. I'm going to close the entire hunting season. Oh, well, really? That's The Finding Fur and Feathers Hunting Podcast is brought to you by Onyx. Know where you stand with Onyx. Today's show is brought to you by Haybale Heights on Devil's Lake. Visit haybaleheights.com for more. By Tazan Lake Lodge in northwest Saskatchewan. For trophy lake trout northern pike, go to tazanlake.com. By Ottertail County. Find your inner honor at ottertaillakescountry.com. And by Lake of the Woods Tourism. Plan your trip to Lake of the Woods at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Welcome to the show. I'm Brett Amundsen. The bow opener here in Minnesota is coming up on the 19th. Uh, What's the season going to look like? Uh, We're going to talk whitetails on this week's show. We've got uh, Taylor Bester from the Bluffland Whitetails Association and also Tyler Scott, who's been involved in quality deer management himself. Both these these guys spent a lot of time chasing deer around. Uh, Gentlemen, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, now I'm excited to hunt this year because I haven't, I haven't, I just haven't had much time to bow hunt the last couple of years, and my freezer's been a little bit empty. So uh, any big doe might want to steer clear of my stand on opening day. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> saying right now, saying that right now, and that's one thing I want to talk to you guys a little bit about, uh, as far as you know, what you guys think might be the best options when it comes to a guy that wants to just put meat in his freezer, big does, uh, younger does, small bucks, cull bucks, whatever. We'll, we'll get into stuff like that. Um, we'll also get into to food plots and land management, uh, chronic wasting disease and more. And, uh, first of all, Taylor with, uh, chronic wasting going, chronic wasting disease going the way it is, it's basically made things more difficult for antler point restriction, hasn't it? Yeah. Uh, this year they made the decision to, um, I guess suspend it indefinitely. I think it was phrased as, and, uh, you know, with the science of what we know about it, we're, uh, understanding of it. Um, but at the same time, I mean, that was one of our, our milestones in our organization kind of put us on the map. Um, so it's tough to see go, but, um, um, talking with guys, it seems like they're on the same page that it's, uh, you know, it's tough to see go, but, uh, you know, when you hear that, you got to figure they're going to practice it with or without the regulation. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, do you think that'll make a difference? Um, you know, it's, I feel like it's going to be one of them things where it's not going to be immediate, you know, like maybe next year, we're not going to notice that there's a significant drop in good bucks out there, but, um, it's probably going to have an effect and others are concerned as well about that. But yeah, I guess we'll have to see. Uh, Tyler, were you someone that would have liked to have seen antler point restriction uh, increase across other areas of the state? That's a very that's a very loaded question, of course. But yeah, I would have loved to have seen that migrate north up towards our area. And I felt like that 
uh, East Otter Tail area was going to be that next jump if we were going to jump out of the southeast corner of the state. I mean, because I think we've been sitting in envy up here for the last, you know, six, seven, eight years after the first couple of years that was enacted down there. And, and Taylor, to get to your point, I, I think a guy's mindset down there, you know, the first couple of years was a little bit challenging for a lot of those landowners to adopt that antler point restriction. But I think, correct me if I'm wrong, was it on for 10 years? I think that's about right. Yep. You know, so you got 10 years of people having to change the way they hunt. And man, I got to believe that's going to carry over for you guys moving forward, which is a huge deal. I mean, it's, it's all about changing mindset to what one's going to harvest and having the restraint not to harvest a particular deer. And unfortunately, in our society, when there's rules, you know, we hopefully tend to follow them. But when there's no rules and it's open game, uh, you know, unfortunately, people get trigger happy. And, and you guys were a great litmus test to what can happen in a state that's been predominantly motivated by shooting the first antler deer that walks by so i hope i hope that mindset carries forward for you guys and uh and then we can see that management practice is still uh moving forward but i think it's interesting that i got both you guys on the show this week and that's obviously by design but when you think about big deer in minnesota everybody immediately thinks of the southeast but Ottertail County's kind of a, it's, there's a lot of big deer up there too, isn't there? There is. And, it, and there's pockets of really good deer hunting. Um, I, I don't, there is still a lot of landowners and, and older generation people who are wanting to harvest a deer that has antlers on it. They don't care the size. And, and so for those of us landowners who, who are trying to, um, you know, talk about you know managing the entire herd itself you know doe management allowing especially that year and a half old deer to survive uh, it's tough for some and to, unless you own a thousand acres or more you can't do it on your own and so you do need that cooperative of landowners to to be able to successfully manage a, a great age structure of deer and when you guys have an apr enacted it kind of forces your entire neighborhood to to uh, hunt within those restrictions. So yeah, how do you go about talking to your neighbors? You know, if, if you were to give somebody advice, uh, if somebody comes up to you and says, "Hey, man, I got a nice buck on camera, but he could use another year." But I'm a little worried that he's going to wander onto the neighbor's property and get shot. I don't, you know, first morning uh, of the gun season or something. What do you What do you recommend to that person as far as going around and trying to talk to the neighbors about that? Taylor, I'll let you take that one. Right. I'm curious to see what you well, have yeah, to say. This, <laughs> this year, um, I've kind of gone outside of the box and uh, went to my n neighbors with trail cam pictures because we actually had a, a, a decent buck with a drop tine, which is kind of a first for our farm, and talked to them about um, you know, harvesting does. And I've kind of massaged this thing for a few years. Um, and it's, uh, I think it's starting to click because this is what I'm seeing by what we've been doing with management over the years. And, uh, you know, they, they always bring it up where it's, uh, well, we're worried if we let it go by that the neighbor's going to shoot it. Well, I, I tell them that's what we've been doing. And, uh, you know, one out of the other, you know, one out of two 
eight crossing the fence. So um, I think it's starting to click with them. My intent is to uh, visit them on opening weekend deer camp and just kind of brush over things. And, you know, you can't go in too hard with it because they're going to, you know, get defensive. And that's, that's about it for that conversation. So that's how I'm handling it this year. So it's a kind of piggyback back in 2006 when we uh, first got our neighborhood together on the Pelican Rapids area to try to get a, a QDM branch established. Um, that was That's a tall task, especially in an area where you don't have APR and you've got uh, ingrained ideation of just killing deer. And so it started off with a couple of us, and we got the whole neighborhood together for a giant potluck. And the excitement level was really high those first couple of years. And I think everybody probably experiences a similar type atmosphere in the sense that, you know, people want to get together, they want to talk deer hunting. Um, but it's been a challenge to when it really comes down to it as far as the restraint of, uh, of not harvesting particular deer. I mean, it's a challenge. And, and so... I would say in our particular area, if you've got, I mean, this might to the serious deer managers out there, a three and a half year old deer is a good deer. That's a big, that's going to be the biggest deer a lot of people have ever killed, especially in our area. And, and so the goal has always been just let that year and a half old deer go, let that year and a half old deer go, because essentially you just try and play the numbers game. And if you get all those deer to two and a half, you know, that increases their odds of surviving. They get a little bit smarter, a little bit more nocturnal. And you, I mean, we all kind of know how the game works, but um, that's been a tough goal of it. And, and as the years have gone by, I feel like our numbers of two-and-a-half-year-old and three-and-a-half-year-old deer that are making it through are way better than they were beforehand. So I'm not saying what we did was totally useless because it really has helped. Um, it's definitely going to be a generational thing. Uh, and then... A few years back here, we acquired some property over by that Deer Creek Bluffton area, and and we're in a little pocket where there is still a lot of traditional deer hunting going on. And I've been I'm new to that area; I didn't grow up there, and so going into that extremely soft is definitely a challenge. And talking to your neighbors, feeling them out, and just it's it's been a real slow pace, which is by design. Like you say, you can't come in too strong, or you're going to totally turn everybody off. Um, I'd say my number one goal right now is just doe management. We've got such a high deer density over there and getting people on board with the idea of, hey, just shoot some does, fill your tag, have some fun with some does, um, and not having to wait for to shoot a two-and-a-half-year-old deer, even though some of these guys have killed a two-and-a-half-year-old deer for 10 years running. you know. And so it's tough. It's a challenge. Um, but you got to go in at soft. You can't go in headstrong or you're going you're gonna to lose that battle. Well, what about that guy that says, you know, I, I want to put some meat in my freezer and I can't get a doe, you know, he's a gun hunter. I can't get a doe tag. Um, what do you, what do you say to that guy that, that, you know, maybe has just, just likes to shoot it to, to, to eat it, you know? Yeah, for me, I just, to each their own, you know, we got to have hunters out there. Yeah. Um, if they have the ability, the little bit of willingness, some evidence you can show, I think that's the best route to tackling that uh, discussion well let's talk about let's talk about for the meat hunter you know like as i kind of brought up earlier because i i am all about i I, i'm all about shooting a doe on opening day just so i can put some meat in my freezer now i've had some people say well you know you got to have you got to keep the does around 
because that brings the bucks around. And then you have some people say, well, you don't want to shoot the big does because of this and that. So there's, there's a few different schools of thought in there. Uh, every, you know, it's always fun talking about whitetail with people because everybody has different opinions on it. It seems like, and everybody's opinion is right. Of course, uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, somebody that just wants to stick, stick a deer to put in his, in his freezer. What do you guys say? What do you guys tell that person, uh, to, to look for when they're out there in the stand? Well, I, I would say shooting a doe, number one, if you aren't worried about your deer numbers, definitely shoot a doe. If they are worried about, well, if I shoot that doe, that could potentially be two more deer the following year, especially if you get into the November and she's potentially bred already. It's like, well, are you killing three deer? So if you're really worried about deer numbers, then do your best to scope out that yearling fawn. I mean, that or that or that fawn who is coming into that fall. And obviously, it's a smaller deer, but that deer is not going to most likely is not going to be bred. Of course, they will be bred, especially later on in the ester cycle. Uh, but that's a, a very tasty treat if you can shoot a a year or this year's fawn especially later in November as they start to pack on a little bit more weight. That's a tasty treat. But again, I would have restraint, especially shooting a buck during November. You aren't going to shoot a good tasting buck when they've been running hard in comparison to a doe, I should say, you know, and it ultimately comes down to how it's handled in the field Mm -hmm. and how you handle it when you get home, you know, whether or not you like to hang it or not in the correct temperatures. I mean, it all plays into it, but a doe is definitely going to taste better than a, than a buck, especially later in the year. Yeah, that's a great point. For me, um, down by in the southeast here, plenty of deer. Um, I think it's pretty easy for someone to go the doe route if they want. Um, so, again, back to the tread lightly. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm willing to shoot some people some does too, so I get a kick out of that. Yeah. So, so ultimately it can depend on where you are and what your numbers are, where you're at, but realistically shooting one of those does is, is the way to go. Uh, I can't wait. I'm so excited. Like I, it's been three years, guys. It's, I don't even like telling people that. Crazy. I'm, I'm embarrassed. Well, I got out, you know, cause I do, it's embarrassing. I, uh, you know, I got, been guiding waterfall the last couple of years. So, uh, you know, September and October gets pretty busy in November things get good. And then I, I like to pheasant hunt too. So that takes up, uh, uh, quite a bit of my, my bull hunting time. Um, cause I can, I can just run out, uh, for a shorter amount of time. There's less time required for pheasant hunting than there is for bull hunting. It just gets tough. But I finally, the last few years I've been finally getting ready in about the back half of December. That's when I, when I like to bow hunt, which is, you know, it's nice and warm and, and, uh, but I, and I've been moving and I moved last year and I moved to some new property. And, um, uh, so I wasn't able to bow hunt it until late in the season. And I, there was deer all over the place. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm, you know, like I was putting it off almost like I can just go out there and whack a doe anytime I want to. This is gonna be a piece of cake. And I had a trail camera up for a month and I had deer all over the trail camera. And then the day I put my stand up, is the last day I had deer on the camera. <laughs> and I talked to the landowner and he goes, yeah, about this time of year, the deer all migrate out and they go down over here and, and move to another property. I'm like, why didn't you tell me that a week ago? <laughs> you know. <laughs> so uh, so I froze my butt off sitting in a stand late, late in the year last year. But, um, you know, we also have, I've got another new property that 
has some really nice deer on it. And we're kind of in that situation now where, you know, do we try to give these deer another year that it's surrounded by other deer hunters? So, you know, we haven't had a chance to talk to the neighbors. So that's why I wanted to ask you guys about that. Uh, but Tyler, you said you're hunting a new area now. Is that what you said? Or you're in a yeah, new place? We, we, we acquired some land, uh, it'd be four years ago, uh, this November. And so that's, that's been my, what's been keeping me busy for the last few years, mainly with, and you talked about, you know, if we get into habitat improvement, I tell you what, that's become a newfound passion, especially there was a little bit of an open slate with this new piece. uh, And which has allowed me to dive into an area of land management that I thought I'd never be able to get into. And so fun, uh, very fun to, to do that. And so, well, let's start at the beginning. So yeah, a lot of deer numbers. Yeah. A lot of deer numbers. And, and so it's fun, especially when I've got little kids coming up and I look at what the future holds for this piece. Uh, that That's what I'm most excited about. Well, let's talk about going to a, a new spot like that and and looking at the property, um, you know, and then, and then deciding, do you say, okay, this is how many acres we got. This is how many deer I think we've got out here. What goes into your, your line of thinking and your strategy? Do you, do you create kind of a refuge in the middle that you don't, that you don't venture into? What's, what's your plan there? Uh, it's continuously evolving, especially <laughs> as you learn who your landowners are. And it's only 125 acre, I shouldn't say only, but it's 125 acres. So as, as I briefly touched you can't manage an entire deer herd on 125 acres. Sure. It's going to be you and the adjoining seven, 800 acres, however you want to look at it. But so that's multiple landowners. So as I've gotten to know them, it's it's kind of played into how I treat that property too. And you can use them to your advantage, um, meaning how you access ingress, egress as far as to and fro, uh, where you set your food plots up, and then what you do leave to a sanctuary. Um, I feel like I, uh, I may be a little bit too cautious when it comes to stepping onto a new piece. I really am an outside in kind of guy and I rarely get in, especially on a small piece. When you want to keep those deer there for as many hours of the day as possible, it doesn't take much intrusion to really chase those deer out. And so using your borders for access, um, using any topography for access, and always keeping in mind where are those deer coming from and where are they going to and are you going to cross that path on your way out because if you cross that path on your way out or if they get downwind of you on your set boy it's not going to take long and those deer are either going to use a different piece or they're going to turn totally nocturnal and your your deer sightings are going to go way down so it, again it i would use your borders to your advantage because your neighbors are going to be likely using their property so you might as well make your disturbance on that border where you're likely going to have disturbance from a neighbor and keep as much of your property uh, as an oasis as possible. That's the way I kind of treat our property the best I can. Uh, Taylor, do you get into the growing food plots and, and positioning them and, and managing land down where you're at too? Yeah, and uh, my old man kind of got the seed planted started food plots before I really even got serious in bow hunting. Uh, so that kind of put me on the right track, but similar to Tyler, we have a a center core, we call it, and we kind of hunt the perimeter of it. Um, recently 
my change in strategy has been to uh, watch how the neighbors are moving around, um, where they're moving food plots or throwing up muddy towers. Um, one got real close to what I would call my little piece of the heaven. And so I backed out and I'm hoping that the area I'm leaving untouched is going to keep them deer in or he's going to walk and push them over to me. But, uh, yeah, and then I'll, I'll arrange the food plots as so too because I had one right up against the fence and now I bumped it over on the other side of the finger thinking that I can keep them on our side a little bit longer. Interesting. I didn't really, you know, obviously you think about your neighbors when you think about deer hunting, but I'd never really put that much thought into the, the neighbor's movements as much as how you position your property. Yeah, you know, I don't know, like our new piece, I've essentially got so 125 acres, probably about 70 acres of it I would consider sanctuary. Uh, wow. And I've got, <clears throat> I've got our, we've got about 10 acres of, of broken up food plots on the eastern third of it. And the sanctuary is all on the western third. There's no other food plots on the neighbors. There's just ag fields and pasture ground and timber and whatnot. But uh, so I do allow our sanctuary to be bordered by them, by the neighbors, but at the same time, it's not worth me diving even around those edges to get in there. I'm going to allow the, the neighbors to uh, kind of shape the movement of the deer herd and create the sanctuary and the movement in my general direction. And I feel like Man, in any given night in September and October, even on the cold front night early in the year, to have 30 to 40 deer come out is nothing out of the ordinary. And I truly feel it's you only create that situation when you allow a, a large portion of your property to be generally undisturbed, especially come mid-August then on to, to not go in there whatsoever. Yeah, I agree with that. So when you're, when you're looking at that property and you say, this is going to be the sanctuary, uh, are you looking mainly like for, for bedding cover or what, what do you, what do you identify as the best area for the sanctuary? Well, for us, I think the way it laid out, what our best option was the center. Hmm. So then we had all the options like Tyler saying of coming in from the outside and kind of maybe bumping them if you do into your core instead of through your your property and on to another. So that's how we strategize. We have uh, a couple roads that run through our property and along the side and from them roads, it's up bluffs. So I got, I put stands where I can park reasonably and then uh, just up. Once I get on top of the hill, that's where my stand is. So basically, you know, creep up over the crest, see if anything's in the plot, sneak up into my stand, and I'm in. And so getting out, it's even easier. Do you, do you go on top of the hill so when you shoot a deer, you just have to drag it downhill at that point? Or? <laughs> Ideally, yeah, into the buckthorn. <laughs> down, down in the bluff country down there, I mean, how are you, are you, are you putting food plots? Do you have openings to plant food plots? Or are you taking some trees down to create some clearings? Or how are you, how are you managing that, pro that type of property? Yeah, ours has some... CRP, I'd say 20-acre chunk, 20-acre chunk, and then the big 90-acre egg field um, with 
trees surrounding it with the bluffs, the run of the terrain. Um, but yeah, it's uh, just jumping in there, I guess. Do hmm. you have a uh, a tight? What are you planning down there? And I'm I'm curious to see if what you're planning. You know, is it is it different than what maybe Tyler's planning up a little bit further north in the state, or maybe is it all about the same? Or do you guys plant stuff that grows throughout different times of the season, or what are you guys planting? Well, typically it'll just be a late fall plot where I throw down brassicas and uh, also toss in clover, which will come up in the uh, in the spring, which works out great. But with the corona this year, we were able to get a bunch of corn planted, so I'm excited oh. for that. Interesting. Tyler, how about you? It's a little bit of everything. Uh, Ideally, you want to have a majority of your stuff that's going to be palatable or available late in the year. Because it's up until you get your few frosts in September, sometimes early September like we had this morning, or typically first part of October. There's so much browse for those deer during the summer months and early fall. So I think spending too much time on having so much available early on in the year uh, I mean, it, don't get me wrong, it's good. You can, it's good to have good kill plots, especially in the timber leading out to big egg fields. But uh, we do a lot of corn and beans uh, and then do a portion of turnips, radishes. I've uh, gotten into a little bit of the rye here late in the year. Um, I think a lot of us have probably seen or heard of Jeff Sturgis. He's kind of had some good ideas as far as different green plots to do, no-till methods I've been dabbling with for a few years now. And, and so kind of it's it's – it's a good trial and error to see what works. It's funny how some year, some years uh, a turnip radish plot will be dynamite, and other years it's like they don't even touch it. And so I had a little bit of mixed results with that. Uh, been doing sugar beet small areas uh, on both properties here the last few years. It's a tough crop as they're tough on the dirt, and they are very prone to disease. I like ours up in Pelican. They, I was on virgin soil. And uh, they have great big bulbs and they have great big leaves until about the first part of August. And then some sort of disease got into them. And I still got the bulbs, which is fine. But my green foliage is now gone. Um, but having a nice green plot, especially if it survives a frost, uh, like I've got some peas coming up uh, and some rye that's coming up right now. For us up here, with the soybeans getting smoked with this frost the last couple of nights, Boy, I tell you what, a good green field in mid-September might just be super, super dynamite when those beans are in that transition of turning golden brown. Yeah, I wanted to touch on that question, Brad, about the openings, clearing openings in the woods. Um, I did that probably eight years ago and um, looked great. I had shot deer in there before. It was just kind of a grassy opening. I opened it up a little bit more, and uh, the deer actually went come in it during when I was hunting them they would go around it and so switch strategies jumped over there and you know connected with my first 150 inch so it you can use it that way but keep your keep your um, strategy open for changing and that that not necessarily sitting on the plot but what they do to maybe check it out and uh, this year coincidentally my brother is doing the same thing so it'll be interesting how that works out for him uh, how many stands do you guys like to have? Say, what are you, you got? One hundred and twenty-five acres, Tyler. Um, so, so that one piece is one twenty-five. And again, I, I've been hunting it from the outside in. 
honestly, right now, as we sit today, I only have three sets, four sets on that property um, by design uh, to still learning the deer movements. Um, and it, it does set up in a sense where there are only a few, few key spots that you can get in and out of safely. Mm. Um, as, as the habitat grows that I've planted with trees, native grasses, um, as that starts to become more established, I think there'll be a couple more sets available. Um, our, our, we have 80 acres up in Pelican. Uh, we've got five sets on that, but a couple of them might only be a one-time-a-year set as they're a little bit deeper in the timber. Hmm. That'd be a, that'd be a mid-rut hunt. So, Is it more important to... to- to set up where you can get in and out a little bit easier or uh, having different stands for different wind directions? I think it's access. Um, I I start with that and then adjust accordingly. Usually by us, it's uh, prevailing northwest, I'd say 50% of the time. Um, And that's how I go about it. Honestly, I got, I don't even know how many stands I've put. (laughs) <laughs> I've put up, I got my, my core, I'd say half dozen, and then, uh, they're sprinkled everywhere. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> well, let's, you brought up, uh, that, that frost too. Uh, what do you guys think is going to happen to the crops that are out there right now? And, um, I mean, I, I, you think farmer farmers got in a little bit earlier this spring. I know in a lot of areas where I'm at, they were in earlier. I've had some farmers tell me that the harvest could be kind of a, a traditional on time type of harvest, but I'm beginning to think it might be a little bit early even getting some of these beans out in different areas. What do you think that's going to do to some of this deer movement out there? I'm not a farmer, so I don't want to speculate on what's going to happen, but I do have a lot of farming friends. I was on the phone with one this afternoon uh, north of Fergus here a couple hours, and, and they had obviously a very hard hard frost. And some of the uh, – he was talking with a gentleman this morning. The beans that were still green and just starting to turn, there's an estimated 40% potential loss on their yields on those beans because they're just so early on in the game. They're a later variety bean maybe as well as maybe got in just a little bit later than they had planned to. I mean, nobody plans for September 8th and 9th frost. <laughs> uh, and so those beans, if that's a 40%, 7% loss, that's a giant loss. He said most fields, if they haven't turned golden brown, they're thinking in the single digits loss. But when you start talking four to five bushel on marginal yields already, it's, it's tough. It's tough for them. Corn-wise, I think they're just fine with corn. I mean, I don't think that's not an issue. They're already filled out and denting it. Be some monster crops out there, right? Yeah, down by us, it, I think it's going to warm up again. It hasn't gotten into the 30s at all, but um, they are talking about having it out before gun first gun season down here, so that could be good, could be bad. We'll see. Well, it's mm-hmm. going to change, it always changes things when that when that crop comes out. As somebody somebody mentioned to me, uh, described it as having you know, it's essentially a forest when that corn is standing and. It's like taking a taking a giant you know forest out of a out of a section. So uh, going to alter some movement, obviously, and change things a little bit. Um, this year has been uh, this year has been weird for so <laughs> many so many reasons. But uh, fairly dry, obviously, but a, a good decent spring. I know 
we just saw the pheasant forecast for Minnesota. I think 146 percent increase. Uh, how are you going to stop? How are you oh going to stop gosh. what you're doing to bull hunt <laughs> when you when you see those numbers? I saw that. I've been wanting to ask you that. Yeah. There's no way you're going to sit at your time with that amount of pheasants around. <laughs> well, I just I just pheasant hunt from the bow stand. You know, pheasant walks underneath. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's a good question. You know, I I'm surprised. Like we all knew it was going to be an increase. I had some of the guys from Pheasants Forever on a couple of weeks ago, and some guys, some farmers, and uh, different people out in South Dakota talking about numbers. We all expected an increase in numbers, and we knew it was going to be a good year. Last fall was a good fall for the region. And then uh, winter was a little tough at first, and then it kind of mellowed out. And then spring during the nesting season was was pretty good. And I just happened to be driving around the other night and saw triplets running around behind a nice doe. So I got to think that the whitetails had a pretty de- decent spring as well. What do you guys think we're going to see out there uh, September 19th when you climb up into the stand? You think you see a lot of deer out there? You think it's gonna be a good year? Uh, for us, I think it's gonna be right around the same as last year. The one concern I've been seeing on cameras is um, not so many fawns hmm. making it, you know, over and over, and a lot more coyotes. Which we've been trying to put a dent in those, and I mean, they just keep coming. I'm concerned about that. They're kind of relentless. Tyler, you seen yeah. that up there? Yeah, you know, I, I can't say I've seen a downfall in the amount of fawns. I mean, there's a lot of uh, twins and a couple sets of triplets uh, that I have seen. Uh, predators are always on my mind as well. Uh, even this spring, I think it was on May 10th, I uh, had a picture of a first uh, of a mountain lion, and it looked like a giant male. I mean, it was a big, broad-shouldered mountain lion. In Ottertail County? Yeah, I was east. That was like I said, it was right between Deer Creek and Bluffton. Really? And uh, until that photo that I had, uh, I had never heard of a picture. I, with all the cameras in the woods, I gotta believe people are gonna get pictures of them. And people yeah. have been crying cat for a number of years now. And uh, Jason Ziegler uh, with Whitetail Properties, he had a picture of one end of March in northeastern Ottertail County. And so that was the first legitimate picture I had seen of one in our general area or Minnesota for that matter, not to say they haven't been here, but, uh, so that, that animal I'm glad didn't stick around. Cause I feel like those cats can take care of some serious amount of deer. Yeah. Uh, we are on the fringe of timber wolves. Uh, they typically don't show up until January, February when the deer herded up and they definitely change the, uh, the dynamic of things. They definitely put the deer on edge and there's a few coyotes. I know there's a there's a lot of guys in our area who do run dogs in the winter and do do a serious damage on those coyotes, which is great. And it's, it's awesome to have that in our neck of the woods. Yeah, you're a little bit of a predator hunter, aren't you? Yeah, I try to be. <laughs> I try to be. Right. Yeah. Kid, right. Kids kids, and careers and stuff, it, as you guys all know, it, it eats into uh, some of that time that we might have. They will otherwise done differently in the past. They will alter your movements as well. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, What about, um, you know, I, I was up in Thief River Falls uh, for a couple of days here this week and that Northwestern part of the state is such an interesting area because it's like, it's kind of right on the edge of prairie and timber and it's kind of that transition area, but 
it, to me, it looks a little bit more prairie, but you got moose, you got elk, you got black bear, you know, you, you have a, a bunch of animals that you don't really see, at least down in my part of the woods here, part of the prairie here. Do you have, how, uh, do you see black bear where you're, you see black bears where you're at, don't you, Tyler? Yeah, I've got, well, besides elk and moose, I've had everything else on camera pretty consistent. I mean, mountain lion just one time, but we've got a lot of bobcat. Hmm. Timberwolves, like I said, that mountain lion, deer, turkeys. Um, but we don't. Ha- I haven't seen a moose or an elk do a black bear on camera up here. Uh, but yeah, you, like you say, it is a very diverse part it's of the weird. state up there. It's cool. Talk about a couple of gigantic bulls getting taken right in the last couple of weeks. Saw that. Gosh, well, giants. Yeah, I remember a few years back too talking to some of those guys up there, and they found. I think this happened like in 06 or 05 or something like that. They found one that had died and I can't remember if it was natural causes or if it got hung up on a fence or, or what happened, but they said it would have been like a world record. You know, that was that one that tipped it, tried to jump that fence and it was caught upside Is down. Is that what it was? Okay. Yeah. I don't they remember released the story. It. Yeah. They released, they got it unstuck and it was so exhausted by the time they got it unstuck. It actually wandered in the timber and ended up dying. That's what it was. But yeah, I was a giant. Um, I, I got a buddy up there. I asked him, you know, I said, did you, do you get a tag? I mean, he knows exactly where all the elk are and he's got access to the land. I'm like, do you ever apply for tags? He's like, no, I should probably do that one of these days. <laughs> are you kidding me? You got access, you know where the animals are? Get a tag, man. Jeez. Well, it's like that bull that, that, uh, that Lacey, uh, shot here most recently, uh, before that picture of floating around the internet, my cousin's wife sent me a text message showing me that picture of that bull oh really and uh her parents uh that was shot on their the property adjoining theirs uh, their timber they've got these bulls on camera all the time i guess <laughs> so a- if i get drawn i know where i'm gonna go <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's so oh. wild to think about that being in minnesota i hope the northeast plan moves forward and they start putting those animals there and and honestly i think they could probably they, they'll they'll have to probably take them from the northwest uh, herds and move some over just because of CWD travel restrictions and all that stuff. But, uh, I'm sure some of those, some of those people up in the Northwest probably won't mind if they lose a few of those animals to the Northeast. And I feel like so many people in the Northeast are welcome, like bring them over, you know, come on over. They don't have the, as much agriculture up there. So there won't be as much damage from those big animals, but I would like to see it. I don't know if I'll see it in my lifetime, but uh, I would like to see a, a, a large number of animals up there. And, you know, you guys don't have to give away your secrets of what you guys are seeing on trail camera, but are you guys, uh, you guys got, uh, got a buck in mind for this fall yet? Yeah, I got a, a nice eight point that, uh, I had in my sights, uh, Christmas day. Um, and my old man had cleaned the muzzle loader and the breech plug wasn't threaded at all the way. So I couldn't <laughs> cock the hammer and off oh, no. he ran. <laughs> well, luckily he was, I, I, his shed was the first one I found and I already got a picture of him. So that's, that's my target buck this year. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. I got a couple that have got me really interested. It's fun to watch them grow up and uh, get to a point where you're ready to shoot them. So it's, it, it, the shift has definitely started. I feel like on Saturday, morning there was a bachelor group that came through they were all oh. velvet saturday night they came through and they were all hard horned and then there was also one deer that i had seen last year had one picture of him early july and he showed up on sunday 
shedding his velvet on camera. And so it's ah, cool. They're starting to cool. shift. Yeah, it's super cool. Well, that's one thing I haven't had the opportunity to do yet that I'm hoping hoping I can do in the next couple of years is have a property to manage, you know, and actually be able to hunt specific deer and put food plots in. To me, I think that's one of the most exciting things uh, about bow hunting, you know, and, and people always are like, how can you just sit in a stand, you know, that many days all the time, you know, and whatever. I'm like, man, you know, all the things you see. When you're sitting in one of those stands, I mean, it's it's not just about killing deer all the time. A lot of times just being out there and seeing nature a little bit. And, and when you can do it on your own property, property that you've, uh, you know, whether you bought, you know, bought and paid for it or your permission for it or you're leasing it, whatever. It's, it's property that you've been able to make your own and make it the way you want it as much as possible. You've picked out deer and you've studied the landscape and you've planned, you know, routes and, and hung stands and done all that. Man, that, that's gotta be the, the most rewarding part of bow hunting out there. Yes, sir. You know, and especially when you can when you can make it work out. Well, guys, uh, I really appreciate the time. Good luck this season. Uh, is there anything else deer related that you that you want to talk about before we wrap things up? No, well, good luck to everyone out there, and obviously stay safe and enjoy it. Uh, it's been a crazy year. Yeah, same. Let's have, make it a good one, Taylor. We sh- maybe let's talk about Bluffland just real quick before we go. Bluffland Whitetails. Obviously, you weren't able to do the banquet this year. Um, uh, how is fundraising, membership? Uh, is there anything uh, you know you're encouraging people to do in the meantime since they couldn't come and see you guys in person? Yeah, well, we uh, we sent out you know a little membership drive. We did our. Uh, pre-banquet raffle which was successful we're thinking about doing something like that here um during season um but yeah we're gearing up for the season helping out with uh carcass dumpsters again sounds like that's uh going good so far and um yeah any other way we can help that's what uh i think we're meeting with barb here in the next couple weeks to go over maybe some changes for next year so all right tyler have you had much cwd up in your neck of the woods Cross our fingers, uh, we haven't had any confirmed cases in Ottertail County. There was that one, was there one doe on a farm in, was it Douglas County, just south of us here last year, was there, I believe. Um, and then otherwise to the east over in that crowing uh, unit over where they had that confirmed case. So uh, hopefully we can keep it at bay. I think we all probably know it's inevitable that uh, it'll probably be everywhere at some point in time in our lives. I just hope that we can stave it off as long as possible and learn more about the disease itself. You know, I think there's a lot of speculation that maybe shoots us in the foot before we actually know the answers. And I think there's a lot of that going on in our world today. A lot of questions. Absolutely. I wish we had more answers. All right, Taylor, Tyler, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Thanks, Brett. This has been the Finding Fur and Feathers Hunting Podcast, part of the Sporting Journal Radio family. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts or visit us at FindingFurAndFeathers.com. Looking for fall adventure? Might as well pick a place with over 1,000 lakes. Ottertail County, Minnesota is in the middle of everywhere offers a simpler pace and has something for everyone. Find your inner otter at ottertilllakescountry.com.
Devil's Lake is legendary, and this summer has been legendary for walleyes. Don't miss out. Call Haybell Heights Campground and Resort today to book one of their modern cabins on East Bay. The cabins are furnished with a full bathroom, kitchen, and all the amenities like high-speed internet and are clean following CDC guidelines. Staying at Haybell Heights gives you full access to a private boat launch, fish cleaning station, and beach area. Learn more at haybellheights.com. That's haybellheights.com. Plan your trip to legendary Devil's Lake today. As we all navigate through the tough times of 2020, finding new ways to enjoy summer has become a way of life. If you're searching for the perfect getaway this summer, look no further than the walleye capital of the world, Lake of the Woods. Fish the Rainy River, Big Traverse Bay, and don't forget you can still experience the uniqueness of the Northwest Angle. For your best chance to catch big fish, go where the big fish are, Lake of the Woods. Plan your trip at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. If Trophy Lake Trout and Monster Northern Pike are on your list this summer, book a trip to Tazan Lake Lodge in northwestern Saskatchewan. Everything from numbers to big fish. See pictures, videos, and more at tazanlake.com. This is quite the fishery. Our five-star chef will feed you well after a day of chasing giants on Tazan Lake. Dream come true. Get rates, dates, and more of what you can expect. It could be the best fish you ever had in your life. At tazanlake.com. That's tazanlake.com. Tazan Lake Lodge is a proud partner of Tourism Saskatchewan.